0: following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. We are talking for uh, the past few weeks and for the next few months about what Artisan is going to look like in our next decade. We celebrated our 10th birthday at the beginning of the year, and so we're thinking all year long about what is our second decade going to look like as a church. And... um, just as the song says, you're my first, my last, you're my future and my past, it, it dawned on me that the, the same ways that we have encountered God and embraced people and engaged culture in the way of Jesus over the last 10 years, it's, it's, the, it's the way we need to do it in the next 10 years. It's not actually rocket science. All we want to do is continue to live into our five foundational values of awe, beauty, roots, community, and justice. You all know those, right? You'll even say them with me if I say it again, probably. Awe, beauty, roots, community, and justice. Those are the five values that shaped our community when we started this church, and they are the five values that will shape our uh, community as we enter our second decade together. And so we're spending a few weeks on each one of those values between now and uh, roughly thanksgiving and each time we're gonna i'm gonna give a a talk that gives an overview of the value where we find it in scripture and that kind of thing and then we'll do a week where we kind of have um some uh, reflection on how we have lived that value out in the past because we need to know the past and then in the last week of each little section each mini-series if you will um We're going to dream together and think together and pray together and talk about what it will look like to express that value in our second decade, our next decade, right? So with regards to awe, I gave you an overview talk a couple weeks ago. We used uh, Hebrews 12, which evokes that imagery of the, uh, the mountain in Sinai with the smoky, fiery descent of God there to talk about awe. And then last week... How many were here for the Immersed service that we did last week? It's the first time we've done an Immersed service in ages, and let alone on a Sunday morning, and it was so well received and so well done. I want to say a big word of thanks and uh, applause for all of those who uh, conceived and developed and, and put those stations together, right? You guys did such a great job. Um, Autumn and Mike and Jolene and Ariana were the ones who, put who came up with the ideas, and there were lots of other people. Many of you helped put it together. Um, So we'll do another one of those again, and we won't wait like four years before we do it next time, um, because that was so good last week. And then today, we're going to wrap up this first little section of our next decade, um, finishing up with the value of awe. Uh, So I've got the the statement that we publish on our website uh, and elsewhere about awe. Let me just read this to you. We humbly recognize the sovereign power, reverent mystery, and gracious wonder of God, who is worthy of our worship and full devotion. And the way I want to talk about this today is to look at the book of Acts. Now, if you don't know, the book of Acts is the story of the formation of the early Christian church. And uh, if you read this story, there there are like tons and tons of examples of people experiencing awe and expressing awe. You have lots of miracles, which are awesome in the non-80s, like gnarly, rad, awesome sense, but in the true meaning of the word, awesome. You have that wonderful occasion when Saul, who is persecuting all the Christians and and condemning them to death, is on the road to Damascus to keep up with his, his dirty work, and he's blinded by the light of Jesus and has this dramatic conversion. That's an experience of awe, I would say, wouldn't you? There's lots of them, but what I want to focus on this morning is just one, and it's really the quintessential example of experiencing awe in the book of Acts, and it's the story of the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was given to the church. And so, um, if you have a Bible, I'd invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, you can find one of these red ones, they're all around the place. If you don't own a Bible, you can have one of these red ones. Please take it home with you. And if you use a red Bible, it's on page 885, Acts chapter 2. I'm going to read the first 21 verses. It's a fairly long passage. And then a little bit, um, skip a little bit, and then pick up again at verse 41 for a, a few more verses. What I'd like to ask you to do as I'm reading this text is listen for examples of awe, people experiencing awe. God demonstrating awesome things, etc. And remember, we define awe as power, wonder, and mystery. Right? Those are the words, that the key words in our value statement for awe. All right, let me read this uh, story to to you. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, from heaven, there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues, as of fire, appeared among them. And how is it that we hear, each of us, in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, the visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. In our own language, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. No, yeah, we always like that, right? (laughs) These people are not drunk because they are teetotalers. Nope, it's only nine in the morning. This is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, and here he's quoting, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show portents in the heavens, in the heaven above, and signs on the earth below: blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Turn the page. If you're in the Red Bibles, we're going to go to verse uh, 41. So Peter then goes on to talk about Jesus at great length. And it's not that I want to skip over Jesus. Jesus is at the center of what we're doing. But he's preaching a sermon about Jesus. I'm preaching a sermon about awe more broadly. Um, So... uh, I promise I'm not trying to skip the Jesus part, if that's what you think. Um, So toward the end of this discourse, he says this, verse 41. Um, 41 actually is when he stopped talking. This is the the author, Luke, editorializing here. So those who welcomed his message were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 persons were added. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Awe came upon everyone... Because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all, as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. So, Um, That's a really uh, longer passage than I usually read in one go, but that's okay. It's scripture. It's good to soak in it, right? Um, Would you take uh, just 30 seconds, and uh, I don't always ask you to do this, so if this creeps you out, don't worry. I won't do it next week, probably. I'm not preaching next week. Um, Turn to the person next to you and just say, I saw awe in this, and then each of you do that. It takes 15 seconds each, and I'll call you back in just a second, okay? Where did you see awe in this passage? Okay, switch to the second person. Where did you see ah in this passage? Introverts, you have five more seconds of pretending that you're listening. <laughs> okay. And scene. That's what drama people say, right? I don't really know. I wasn't in drama club. All right, so a couple examples. Where did we see awe in this passage? Who who's, likes to shout out in a big group? Yes. Um, how many languages were available? Yeah. How many languages are being spoken in this by, by people who really should probably not have spoken all of them, right? Yeah. Good, thank you. Who else? Where else do we see awe? Fire on their heads? Fire on their heads? That's pretty awesome. <laughs> 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 yeah. Yeah. You don't want to miss church that day, right? (laughs) Imagine the person who slept in that morning. (laughs) Yes. That's, yeah. Spending time together, breaking bread. We can see awe in that for sure. Yes, Denise, a couple more. Uh, Like 3,000 people added, you know, baptized in one day, right? Yeah, the water was probably plenty warm by the end of it. (laughs) They were perplexed and asking, what does this mean? I actually want to stop with that one. Um, What a thing. To have an experience of God where you're like, I have no idea what just happened. We'll get to that in a little bit. But really the important question for our purposes today is not... Where do we see awe in the story? But rather, how does this story offer us, Artisan Church, a model for expressing our value of awe in our next decade? Right? That's the question at hand, correct? This is the third week of awe. We want to be thinking about the future now. And I, as I was thinking through that question, uh, it, ha- it just so happened that three ideas rose to the top for me. Um, So all you note-takers are like, yes, he finally has a three-point sermon. I can write one, two, three, and words after them. (laughs) Um, And yet another thing that doesn't usually happen here at Artisan. But it happens that there are three things that I would like to bring to our attention as uh, as the pastor of this community, as the leader who is casting vision for our second decade as a church. These are the things that I want us to look at right now in this story for how we might be called to and be able to express awe in our second decade, all right? Now, some of them are things that we'll experience whether we want to or not. If you're in the presence of God, X, Y, and Z is going to happen sometimes. You have nothing to do with it. Other times, there are occasions when we need to kind of push into it a little bit, right? And, and actually try to, to live into the calling that he's placed on us. So you're going to see both of those things here. So, what does this story show us about what it looks like for a church, a group of believers, to experience godly awe? Here's the first thing. If we're experiencing godly awe, we will see unlikely converts and unlikely prophets. Verse 39, which we didn't read, part of Peter's sermon, talking about all these Old Testament prophecies and promises, what he says to this group of people is, The promise is for you. Good so far. I like when the promise is for me. The promise is for your children. Yep, I sure hope that my kids get to engage and enjoy the promises of God. And for all who are far away. Well, I'm not so sure I like that one. Aren't we a chosen race, a, a royal priesthood? Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. Calls to himself. What is the determining factor for who receives the promises of God? Is it by station of birth? No. Is it by uh, your ability to adhere to a moral or ethical or legal or religious code better than those around you? No. The determining factor in who receives the promise is everyone the Lord our God calls to himself. So we're going to see some unlikely converts. If we're living in the, in the awe of God, we'll also see some unlikely prophets. Remember Peter, the apostle, quoting the prophet Joel? Right? Saying that he's going to pour out, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. And then he goes on to list all the categories and included in the people who will prophesy in those days are all the people you'd expect you know in a in a patriarchal culture you'd say like men and religious leaders primarily right but he says sons and daughters old and young men and women even the slaves everybody is invited into this experience of speaking on behalf of God. That's what prophesy means. If God is going to pour out his spirit on all flesh, that means that sometimes people are going to be converted to this way who we would not have thought were appropriate. We would not have maybe invited them to the table and yet there they are. The church had this problem, as you know, if you know the rest of this story in the book of Acts. It's all through the book of Acts. They were utterly confused when the Holy Spirit seemed to descend on individuals who had no business being in the God business, namely Gentiles. And they had a really difficult time balancing their cultural and religious expectations With the reality that the the Holy Spirit seemed to be giving the gifts of teaching and prophecy and leadership to individuals who had no business being in the teaching and prophecy and leadership business. Namely, women. And you can read the New Testament and you will see them struggling to work this out. Apostle Paul writing things like, There's no longer Jew or Gentile, male and female, slave and free. That's his attempt to bring these people who have certain expectations about the way the world should be structured into this new kingdom reality that God is bringing about where all those expectations seem to be getting blown up. And sometimes the only thing that we know about our faith is that it's our faith, not somebody else's. And here comes the Holy Spirit screwing that all up. If we're going to live into the awe of God in our second decade, using the Acts chapter 2 church as a model, we are going to see unlikely converts and unlikely prophets. And it's going to be our duty to let the wind blow where it will. Now, wind and spirit, the same word in the biblical languages. I sometimes wish it was translated holy wind instead of holy spirit, because wind is a little bit... You know, a little bit more predictable, a little bit less predictable, a little bit more dangerous sometimes, right? All right, so we're going to see unlikely converts and unlikely prophets. Second thing, if we are living into the awe of God, the way the church did in the stories of Acts 2, we're going to see worship and evangelism and justice all tied up together in one big thing. That last bit that I read, verses 43 through 47, let me just read this again. Awe, here's the starting point. Awe came upon everyone, because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And, day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Do you see how in that part of the story, uh, conversion is right next to worship, which is right next to caring for the poor? And they're all inseparable. This is going to be a challenge for us. Because the the truth is that most of us in this room are really only passionately interested in one or maybe two of these three things. You know that's true, don't you? It's true all across the church, and I think it's a huge problem. Much of the time, people who are passionate about making converts are so preoccupied by the very good desire to see people saved for eternity that they don't give a ton of attention to working for God's justice in the here and now. Have you noticed that that's true? And conversely, people who are passionate about caring for the poor are so busy trying to be the hands and feet of Jesus to a hurting world that they can forget to be concerned with bringing his saving grace to people's souls. And then you have the people who are so uh, on fire for God, if you'll pardon that little piece of uh, church ease, that they could just stand in worship day and night and never really think about evangelism or justice. But the church in Acts 2, when awe came on everyone, saw all three of these wonderful ends joined together, in one beautiful community reality. And so we ought to expect that all three things will happen in our next decade if we are going to allow awe to come on all of us and into our community. We need to expect that they will happen. We need to seek out that they will happen and try to make it happen. And we need to celebrate all three of things when they happen. Now, each one of you in the room can look at the list that's on the screen there worship, evangelism, and justice and pick the one easily. You, can, you don't even have to think about the one that comes naturally to you that you are most concerned with. And God bless you for it because that is probably indicative of how you ought to be serving in the church and how you ought to be living out your faith. But it cannot be to the detriment and to the avoidance of the others. Because the the full picture involves all of those things. So, unlikely converts and unlikely prophets. Worship, evangelism, and justice all tied together. And then lastly, this. Sometimes we will be, as Carrie pointed out, bewildered and perplexed. Both of those words are used in the text to describe the experience that these new and old believers were having. I would submit to you that being bewildered and, per- and perplexed is part of the bargain in following God. If we sometimes want to have the feeling of being swept up in the beauty and wonder of God, we also are sometimes going to have the feeling of not knowing what on God's screen earth is going on. Raise your hand if you love to be bewildered and perplexed, right? (laughs) Okay, there's a couple. But generally, it's not like a roller coaster where it's scary, but it's fun scary. Being bewildered and perplexed is extremely painful for most of us, and particularly if it goes on for very long. We would much prefer, wouldn't we, to be enlightened and wise, standing on our own two feet on solid ground, intellectually, emotionally, spiritually. But sometimes, this is, I don't know very many things, but this is one of the things that I I think I do know. We have to have experiences of disorientation so that God can reorient us, pointing us in the right direction. Otherwise, we get so caught up in making our own decisions and making our own way and making our own future that we miss out on what God has for us. And pin the tail on the donkey is fun at a birthday party, but when your whole life feels like you've been blindfolded and spun around and just pushed in a direction in a dark room, that is not an enjoyable experience. And yet, it is part of experiencing awe. The people heard these languages and they said, What is going on? The devout Jews saw Gentiles coming to faith and they thought, what is going on? The patriarchy saw women being gifted and they said, what is going on? I could give you lots and lots more examples. But that's the reality of living into godly awe. Sometimes we will be bewildered and perplexed. It is par for the course. I don't have a way to sugarcoat that. I don't have a a magic wand or a special pill that can draw you out of your bewilderment into enlightenment. Sometimes I think the only solution is to go a little deeper into the mystery. Did you know, by the way, that uh, the language of the church for mystery and sacrament overlaps. In Greek, it's mysterious. In Latin, it's sacramental. (laughs) Which maybe explains why our Eastern Orthodox brothers and sisters are better at mystery. (laughs) And our Western brothers and sisters, which generally includes us, would rather have um, something to kind of explain away the mystery. (laughs) A sacrament is something that makes something known. It reveals what was hidden. And so, when I invite you to come to this table and receive the sacrament of Holy Communion, it is actually very much an invitation for you to come and dive deeper into the mystery. The mysterium is what is served at the table of the Lord. That's why I say all the time, you don't have to feel like you have everything figured out to come to communion. You don't have to feel like you are a perfect Christian to come take the bread and the cup. If that's what you feel like you have to do, you have missed the point entirely. So for all you orphaned believers and skeptical dreamers, to quote the beautiful song lyric, (laughs) this is for you. It's for all of us. I invite you to come and receive the body and blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You can tear off a piece of the bread, remembering his body, which was broken for you. Dip it in either the wine or the juice, remembering his blood, which is shed for the forgiveness of sins. And as you do that, not only will you, as usual, be engaging in this beautiful ritual that Christians have engaged in for centuries, not only will you be Uh, acting in community, communion with all of those in this room and everybody else who's taken communion anywhere in the world this Lord's Day. Not only will you you be receiving food for your souls, as John Wesley says, all those things are true, but also today, perhaps you will be deciding to embrace the mystery, to step into an awesome, godly bewilderment, trusting that his hand is there to guide you and that you won't be walking alone in a dark room dizzy and unable to see let's pray gracious God we submit ourselves to the realities of the world which include all kinds of things we don't understand we trust that you are good that your love is for us all And that Jesus is enough. And so we come to him now. Receiving his body into our own as we become the body of Christ. Praying that the mystery would not drown us. Even as we are carried deeper and deeper. Into the ocean of your grace. We pray these things through Christ our Lord. Amen.